Welcome to another edition of Nipe Story. We are a podcast that brings you audio versions of short stories from Kenya and across the continent. I'm your host, Kevin Wachiro. And on this episode, we're featuring Kihende Bademosi's Abomination. When Kihende got off the bus in Lagos, he was weak from fasting, but strong with the spirit of Sister Odolo, the great prophetess. The bus had dropped him off several blocks from his home on Market Street, where he lived with his twin sister, Taye, and his mother, Aduke, in a makeshift school. He had little more with him than a bag of gala sausage rolls he'd bought along the way. It was after the new year and most people had left the city for the suburbs where they celebrated the holiday with their families. Those who stayed had wrecked the city with parades and parties, leaving the streets littered with spent fireworks and refuse of joyful celebrations. Kihende was eager to see Taye. He imagined that nothing dramatic had happened to her in the weeks he had been away. The doctors and psychiatrists had ensured that she would stabilise, but still had occasional outbursts that were worrisome. Laura, his prayer partner from church, who had come to watch over Taye while he was gone, believed, as Kihende did, that certain things were simply spiritual in nature and only spiritual interventions could rid of them. What afflicted Taye was a matter of prayer. Aduke was less certain, and uncertainty tormented her. Was she to believe that her son, the newly anointed preacher boy, could bring home the miracle that would heal her daughter of her crippling psychosis? Or was she to have faith in a psychiatrist who claimed her daughter's illness was caused by a trauma of the neural circuit? Hmm. No one knew exactly what that meant. Laura believed in Kihende. She was the one who knew Sister Odolo and had recommended that Kihenda visit her when the family's prayers for Taye went unanswered. Laura gave him comfort. Should anything happen at home while he was away, Laura knew how to reach him. People were always coming from and going to a Jebo campground for prayers, and if he was needed, all she had to do was send a note through one of the other believers. It was easy to locate Kihende at Ajebo campground. He was the scruffy preacher boy the one who waited on Sister Odolo. Campers nicknamed him Elisha because they would call on him for special prayers whenever the prophetess was unavailable. He learned quickly, and soon after arriving, he was casting out demons. He had learned how to groan his prayers without actually speaking a word, a practice that was very peculiar to Sister Odolo. And as he groaned, he would hold his stomach with both his hands and wreathe back and forth and left and right in a rhythmic fashion he couldn't control. And then, all at once, he would cry out a cacophony of phrases that no one could understand. This style of prayer was called birthing. It was the prayer style of Sister Odolo that Kihende had come to master. The indecipherable words that he uttered startled sinners and made many confess their sins. Once after Kihende had led a session of prayer at Ajebo, a little girl confessed that during a meeting of witchcraft, she had eaten two full-grown adults for dinner. Another man, visibly shaking under the influence of Kihende's presence, related how he had been responsible for the misfortunes of his dying wife. 
When things got too heated during these revival meetings, Kihendo would call on Sister Odolo to intervene. Whenever Sister Odolo arrived, there would be complete silence. Her eyes were sunk deep in large sockets on her oval face and she didn't speak many words. Holding her stomach with her tiny hands, she would unleash a frenzied laughter that unsettled even the forest surrounding the campground. That was called laughing in the spirit. Kihende had yet to master that when he left Ajebo. Kihende brought a few possessions from the camp. He had on the same plain grey shirt he had worn when he left Lagos. While at camp, he had washed the shirt and his underwear only twice, as Sister Odolo had barely given them time for such things. No serious gospel warrior would leave important activities like praying and fasting to wash their clothes. The Bible never recorded Jesus washing his clothes. Sister Odolo would say Jesus had no underwear to wash. All he had was a loincloth. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto thee. Beauty, grooming, fashion. As far as Sister Odolo was concerned, these were frivolous activities that had led many believers to hell. In Kihende's right hand was a big black King James Bible, rumpled at the edges, the pages packed with various bookmarks to get him quickly to the passages he needed. The time was half past eleven, and most vendors along OK Alpha had closed their stalls. The dirt road was bumpy and potholed and littered with empty cartons of sugar and empty tomato tins flattened out by the passing trucks that delivered goods to the market. Walking the short distance home, Kihende was hungry and feeling weak and feeble from fasting. He tore open the wrapped sausage rolls and sank his teeth into the cold bread and the beef buried within. As he approached Okekoto, the last bend before his home on Market Street, he felt a strong force pulling at him. He was now on a busy road where the night market sold everything. The last time he walked that route was with Laura on the way back from church. She had told him about the street and the sin-filled red brick building in the middle of all his busyness. She knew it well because she understood Hausa, the language spoken in Okekoto. The red building gave the street its life. People traveled from far away across Nigeria to trade here. They sold marijuana, they sold beds, they sold sex. The patrons of Okekoto dressed piously to cover up the obvious nature of their trades. But Kihende knew what was going on. Or thought he knew. And what he thought he knew enraged him. He wanted to bring the kingdom of God here. He needed to birth Okekoto for God. He had been anointed by Sister Odolo, the great prophetess, to set the captives free. And Okekoto might as well be the testing ground for his newly acquired spiritual authority. Full of God's might, the preacher boy plunged into the crowd, making his way toward the red brick building. Outside the entrance, Amalam grilled suya meat on the corner, while a crowd of people waited in line for their orders. Kihinde entered the building, and the deeper he went, the dimmer it got. Faces were shades of dark grey, except for the occasional flicker of light from a cigarette lighter 
revealing hints of who they were. There were al-hajis in loose-fitting clothing negotiating in low tones with the prostitutes. Further in, he passed traders selling furade nunu and zobo. Medicinal yogurts from northern Nigerian men used to thicken their semen and enlarge their male organ. There were boys too. Barely 12 years old, selling cigarettes and weed rolled in old newspapers. The buyers were older men, sometimes in their 30s, sometimes in their 70s. These older men rarely wasted time. They would beckon the boy of their interest. They would price the weed in the rolled newspapers. They would pay and then take the boy and disappear inside a locked room. When the boys returned, they were usually too tired to continue with their trade. Kiheta's breath quickened. His body hummed as if it were in tune with what he was seeing, but his spirit felt violated. This enraged him. Sister Odolo had told him it was okay to be angry at sin. Holy anger, she called it. Careful that no one was watching him, he slowly lifted his hand above his head and groaned his prayers until he was seized by the cacophony of unknowable language. He moved further into the red building. The preacher boy had come to Okekoto on a mission. Deep inside the building, Kihendo arrived at a large open space, packed and throbbing with people. He stared incredulously. His eyes danced around in wonderment. Prostitutes lined the corridors, smacking gum, blowing bubbles, smoking cigarettes and weed, and some other things he couldn't quite figure out. He felt lightheaded. A well-dressed lady in a full hijab smiled and flashed a golden tooth. He looked around, unsure if the smile was meant for him. She sashayed towards him. Laura had told him that the prostitutes in Okekoto kept their bodies covered so as not to offend their Muslim patrons. The lady walking towards Kihende had a pretty face and breasts that could not be contained or hidden by the hijab. They burst out in full rebellion. Without saying a word, she took the preacher boy by the hand and led him into her room where she sat him on the floor, on the only cushion. The air in the room was different. It smelt of lavender and citrus, mixed with tobacco and weed. I am Aminat. She sat close to Kihende. What's your name, Al-Hajj? Hussein. Kihende gave the name his Muslim father called him before Kihende went the way of the church. How much will you pay for two sweet ones? Aminat asked in a pleasant Hosa accent. Then she slowly opened her dress and released her breasts. She pulled Kihende close and caressed his unkept hair. Jesus! Kihende cried, holding his stomach with one hand and his Bible with the other. He had come to birth Okekoto for the kingdom of Christ and to set the captives free. More angry than startled, Aminat got up quickly, grabbed Kihende by the arm, and pulled him towards the door. That's when Isiaku entered. Isiaku was tall, with thick hair and the chest of a boxer. 
He whispered something in Aminat's ear and she left the room. The devil is using you all! Kihende pointed his Bible at Isiaku. Baturenshi, Isiaku said in Hosa, revealing his gold tooth. So you can't even speak a little English? Baturenshi, Isiaku repeated as he got very close to Kihende and caressed his head as Aminat had. Kihende felt something. He felt it in his bones and across his skin as Isiaku ran his hand across Kihende's worn shirt to feel his chest. Kihende's dick stiffened. He didn't like the way he felt, but he didn't fight it. He told himself he would confirm what Laura had told him about the red building. That men came here to have sex with other men. These men, the Dandaudus, as Laura called them in Hausa, had been part of Hausa tradition until Muslims tried to suppress it. Some Dandaudus behaved like women. They wore the local makeup and dresses and danced for other more masculine men at their parties. During the day, they cooked for their men, who called them their wives. Isiaku was one of the masculine Dandaudus. He was an abomination unto God. Sister Odolo had said that homosexuality was one of the seven great abominations that would bring America to its knees and allow her to take control of the White House. Homosexuality, according to Sister Odolo, was God's way of giving people over to their reprobate minds because they refused to acknowledge and worship him. Kehende believed every word handed down from the prophetess. Sister Odolo didn't say it was so. The Bible said it was so in the book of Genesis, in the book of Leviticus, in the book of Timothy and Corinthians, and in the book of Romans, where it was written, men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire to wed one another, men with men committing indecent acts, receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. However, Something in this far past kept calling out to him. He had a dream about it and remembered it now with Isiaku before him. When Kihende was 12 years old, he had developed an indescribable fondness for his head teacher's son, Tunde Tuoye. At 15, Tunde was one of the oldest boys in class, having repeated several grades due to his poor academic performance. Kihende liked to stare at Tunde endlessly any time they got together after school. Soon enough, Tunde began to stare back, the same fixed stare during which nothing was said. Tunde clearly enjoyed Kihende staring. One day after school, Tunde pushed Kihende up against the wall, nailing his hands to the wall with his strong palms. Kihende didn't resist. He closed his eyes as Tunde came closer until their foreheads rubbed against each other. Then their noses. They seemed to breathe each other. And then their mouths connected as if they were chewing each other. The Tuoyos relocated to Dubai. And everything about that case was supposed to have relocated with them. But Kihende remembered every detail of it. The helplessness of it. The smell of onions on Tunde's breath. That night in Okekoto, 
as Isiaku pulled Kihende closer. Kihende breathed him in the way he had Tunde. Blood rushed in his veins. Isiaku gently took Kihende's Bible and threw it into the corner. With his thick house of fingers, he traced the outline of Kihende's nipples, now visible under his shirt. Then slowly, as the lantern in the room dimmed, Isiaku thrust his lips on Kihende's. Kihende did not stop him. Perhaps he did not want to stop him. Like a lamb led to slaughter, he gave himself willingly to Isiaku. Isiaku's hands moved further down along Kihende's chest and down to his abdomen. When his hand reached Kihende's waist, he began to unfasten his belt buckle. Instead of spurning the invasion, Kihende silently prayed that a higher spiritual power would win the battle that raged within and keep Isiaku from going any further. He prayed that he would stop enjoying the intimacy. He prayed that his dick would soften and that his nipples would behave themselves. He prayed that Isiaku would stop. Isiaku opened the clasp of Kihende's belt and started to lower his head. In one cry in the style of Sister Odola, Kihende birthed the spiritual strength that stopped Isiaku. The kingdom of God suffered violence and the violence would take it by force. Kihende ran from Isiaku. He ran with all his strength out the door, down the crowded corridor and out into the open street. The cold night air hit him hard. He walked hurriedly, hiding his face from everyone passing by. Market Street had a curfew. Vigilantes assigned to close the rusty gates would be there any minute now. Kihende walked fast, breathing in and remembering Isiaku as he made his way home. It wasn't garlic. It wasn't onions either. What he tasted in the back of Isiaku's mouth lingered. Was it a weird concussion or a sedative of some sort? He recognized Isiaku's cologne, though. He reeked of it. It was one of those locally brewed by the perfumers in the north. Its smell was too spicy and floral and lacked the woody base of most imported colognes. Powerlessly, he carried the aroma all over his broken self the whole way home. It was Laura who opened the door for him and he felt her gaze pierce through him as if she knew the smell of Isiaku's strong essence. Surely, Laura wouldn't think of Okekoto. The preacher boy was just returning from Ajebo campground and he must be coming with fire. I wasn't expecting you so late. She put her finger to her lips, gesturing not to disturb Taye who was asleep. Aduke's eyes were also shut, but Kihende felt her gaze fixed upon him. Aduke never really slept, but when she closed her eyes, she saw everything. Kihende hurried to the shower just behind the classroom and washed his body endlessly. He needed to get rid of Isiako. He scrubbed, he pinched, he pulled at his skin. He added more dettol to the water so the smell of the disinfectant would neutralize the odor. But the smell of Isiako remained. Sister Odolo 
would be saying her midnight prayers soon. The great prophetess would see things, and he was sure she'd had seen him at Okekotom. He knew she would divine it. She would divine the floral perfume. She would divine the taste of weed in his mouth, the semen in his underwear. She would divine it all. What about the church? What would the church do if they heard he had kissed Isiaku? He had been tempted, and he had failed. He would be excommunicated. The last preacher boy at Oniwaya had sinned against the church and gone the way of madness. No one could cheat Jesus. When he said, Thou shalt not fornicate, he meant it wholeheartedly. Preachers serving at the altar must purify themselves or the church would banish them for being unclean. He thought about his mother and the shame of Taye's mental illness. He thought about what had happened at Okekoto and he became afraid. In a recent dream, he had been chased by thousands of swine, ugly round swine chasing him and sniffing his ass with their snouts. They chased him down into a very deep valley and when they caught up with him, they tore at his pants. They ate his leg while he watched, completely paralyzed by fear. They chewed and snorted, ripping at his flesh as they ate their way up his leg, past his knee, his thigh, his groin, and just as they were about to devour his male organ, he woke. He looked up at the coconut droops. They reminded him of large balls, large eyes that belonged to Sister Odolo. They were all watching him. He placed his hand on his stomach. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and power in heavenly places. He needed to birth a miracle for himself now. He had been anointed the preacher boy, and his body must obey the Lord. Abomination was written by Kihende Bademosi. Bademosi's first book and memoir is called The Exodus. Under the pen name Kenny Brandmuse, Bademosi curates online conversations about gay rights in Nigeria. He's also the founder of the Orange Academy, Africa's first practical school of integrated brand experience. To know more about his work, you can visit his website, kihendebademosi.org. Nipa's story is available to download wherever you get your podcast from. If you have a short story that you'd like to share with us, please email producer at fingerpiano.co.ke. Follow us here on SoundCloud, on Facebook, we are Nipa Story, and on Twitter, our handle is Nipe underscore story. Hit the follow or like buttons and even rate us. Thank you for listening. Nipe Story is a Finger Piano production. <laughs>